Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the morning briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And do you know why we do it? It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform of the United States military and also knows what it's like to have taken it off for that last time. We know how difficult it can be, how frightening, and how... It's often difficult to find the benefits that are available to you, to find all of the programs that can help you not just succeed, but thrive after you leave the service. 13 years in the Navy for me, 13 years in the Army for Super Producer Jake Hughes, and the rest of our team all served for varied amounts of times in varied services. That's why we are dedicated to this and why ConnectingVets.com is your one-stop shop for all news, information, and veteran-related benefits Go check it out every day and follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and I'm sure in some other places as well. Jake, I'm getting a, 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 yeah, you're hearing it too? Okay, gentlemen, hold on for one moment here. Of course, we're going to have some, (laughs) of course, we're going to have some technical difficulties. All right, there it is. All right, now we're good. All right, I'll just pick up from there. Our next guests represent the Reserve Officers Association, and we're going to talk to them about what exactly the ROA is, what the ROA does, and what the ROA is doing for the veteran community. They are Jeff Phillips, the executive director of ROA, and John Rothrock, the legislative director. Gentlemen, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Eric. Great to be with you and your audience. Jeff, let's first start off with you. You retired from the United States Army, but give us the Cliff Notes version of your career, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were serving in the Army. Well, Eric, I went into the Army out of ROTC in New England, uh, UMass Amherst. I was in their four-year ROTC program. We call it ROTC. I guess it's not called ROTC anymore, ROTC. But I went right into the regular Army as a tank officer, went right to Germany where I wanted to go and served in um, in Bavaria, Bamberg, and uh, Ansbach, Germany, for three great years on what was then the border with the with the great enemy of the free world, as we used to think in those days, and uh, learned a lot about our army. and And, and the, my my great takeaway from uh, from that period was how important uh, non commissioned officers are, sergeants, and they're the ones who helped me uh, grow from a second lieutenant into a first lieutenant. Stayed in tanks for several more years in the U.S. and ultimately became an Army Public Affairs Officer, which was kind of what I did for the Army for the remainder, most of the remainder of my 37 years in in uniform. About two-thirds of the 37 years was in the Army Reserve, and I guess about a third of that was on full-time active duty because of the current war on terror. That, Of course, that gave us a lot lot of us opportunities to be on active duty in in our military. I finished out as... um, Deputy Commanding General, Army Reserve at the Army's Training and Doctrine Command down at Fort Eustis, Virginia, after having had a, a, a wonderful, fulfilling stint of two years at Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Air Force Base down near Savannah as the Deputy Commanding General 
of uh, 3rd Infantry Division and those installations. So I've, I've um, Uncle Sam and a bunch of great non-commissioned officers and, and, and soldiers gave me the opportunity to have a very fulfilling nearly four decades in our Army serving our nation. That is quite a long time and quite a varied list of, uh, of jobs and accomplishments. Very cool stuff. Now, John, as I understand it, you're still working towards that retirement. You're serving in the reserve. So tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, where you're from, when you joined, and what it is that you do. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, good morning, Eric. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, yes, I am a uh, still a current drilling reservist uh, with the U.S. Navy. Uh, I am a direct commission officer, so I did not go the ROTC route uh, as Jeff did and so many others, but uh, I am a late bloomer, so to speak, uh, where the, uh, the the Navy, as well as many of the other services, have a direct commission program. But uh, I was selected in 1999 as a uh, as DCO for the Intel program, and so I will be up on my 20 years as of uh, September, and it's been a great experience. Um, I just returned last year from a year in Afghanistan, Western Afghanistan, where I was the deputy J2 at a NATO base in Herat, Afghanistan. The Italians were the lead and the Americans were the deputies. So it was a great experience. As I've said uh, to Jeff and many others, it was the most uh, stressful, uh, but yet the most rewarding experience of my life. Originally, I'm uh, from High Point, North Carolina, and uh, have uh, had a career on Capitol Hill, uh, 24 years uh, in various positions uh, with the House of Representatives, uh, and then uh, went to Afghanistan and came back, and now I have the honor of uh, continuing my service uh, with the Reserve Officers Association. And, of course, that's what we're going to talk to Jeff and John about today. Jeff is the executive director of the Reserve Officers Association, and John is the legislative director. Jeff, let's talk about your retirement. Again, retiring from the reserves is a little bit different than retiring from active duty, but it's also similar in that you don't put that uniform back on again. It just happened fairly recently for you. Do you feel that there was a benefit for you being a reserve officer, so kind of having one foot in the civilian world, one foot in the military? world that made that transition easier? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the easy answer, the short answer is yes. I, I had been a part-time reservist and an individual mobilization augmentee. So for years, I had done the Army for a couple of weeks a year. I would come, I was living in Texas for many years in Austin, Texas. That was a great place to, in which to live. And I'd come up to the Pentagon and I would work on Army public affairs staff in the, in the building. And so I had one foot in both worlds. I loved it. About the time I was getting ready to leave Washington, D.C. and go back to Texas, well, my two weeks was up. And about the time I was ready to leave Austin, Texas, to come up to Washington, well, it was time for my next two weeks to begin. So that was good duty, and I enjoyed it. However, I did step out of the regular Army as a, as a fairly new major after Desert Storm in 1993 when I left the regular Army. I gave up my commission, and I just I wanted to do something different, went into civilian life, but fortunately stayed in the reserves. Uh, so I did have that separation, and I do. And although I was not immediately seeking uh, employment, I was single, still am, was single, didn't, wasn't really worried about feeding a family, um, and I did want to. I took almost uh, almost six months off, as I recall, uh, and, and traveled throughout the West, living out of the back of my 1983 Ford Bronco. Did a lot of trout fishing in the West, and just I love the West, so I, that was a good time. But I, sooner or later, I had to think about work and what I was going to do next. I made maximum use of my GI Bill, went to grad school at UT Austin, 
uh, and then ultimately got into the work stream. But I did experience that kind of disquiet, that psychic disquiet when you think, well, you know, there's no one, no more is anyone going to give me my next job and no more is my next paycheck going to just appear in my bank account. Um, there's no career manager for me as a civilian. So I got to figure this one out for myself. And in those days, much more than today, there was absolutely really no help other than a few headhunters, some of whom were around still and do a good job, willing to find you a, you know, a job at Johnson & Johnson or Procter & Gamble. I wasn't interested in that at the time. Perfectly good options for people. But it can be very, um, it can be very traumatic. And if you, are, if you have a family and other obligations, uh, house payment, it's a, it's a big deal. And it is a different, the civilian world is a different world different world it absolutely is and it's also a different world for reservists and that's what the roa reserve officers association is all about the reserve and the guard you know for those of us who are on active duty it's oftentimes easy to forget about the reserves or the guard and for some people to just dismiss them outright uh of course, the truth is the reserves are doing incredible, important work. As John told us, uh, he was in Afghanistan and R.C. West. I was on a public affairs photography team in R.C. North and was the only mm-hmm. active duty sailor on that team of five. Everybody else there yeah. was yeah. a reservist. Let's talk about the ROA. First off, Jeff, okay. if someone walks like up to you on the street, isn't familiar with the organization, says Reserve Officers Association, what's that all about? What's the answer well, that you give to that question? Is, yeah, first thing I say is that we have expanded past officers. We are now open to membership is open to non-commissioned officers, E4 and above. Of course, the Marine Corps and the Army have uh, corporals who are E4, so uh, NCOs, E4 and above, and we're working very hard to open up membership to all ranks, and I think that's going to happen in our, our September convention this year. So ROA is the only national organization in existence in the USA that exclusively and solely represents the interests of the reserve components of the United States, including the National Guard, NOAA, Public Health Service, and the Coast Guard Reserve. So other organizations, it's part of what they do. It's all we do. So when we get, up, when we get in in the morning, and actually we, a lot of us are working at 5 or 6 in the morning and sending emails at 9 or 10 at night, uh, we are solely and exclusively focused on the interests of the reserve force, the men and women in the reserve force, their families and veterans of the reserve force. It's all we do. And we're the only organization in the United States of America that does that. You know, it's something that has popped into my mind on occasion when talking to people who served in the reserves, that reservists, uh, let's be honest here, kind of get screwed when it comes time to transition out of the service where they don't have the same programs available to them that the active duty does. Uh, What is ROA doing to ensure that reservists are, are given a fair shake and are given what they deserve after having served their country just as honorably in uniform, albeit not for, you know, 24 seven, like the active duty does all year long. What is the ROA doing and what kind of success have you had in, in getting some changes made for those reservists and guard members? We are, we are constantly working with industry to raise the consciousness uh, about the reserve force. and we, we, we do small things and we do big things. One of the small things we're doing is ensuring that military appreciation programs, uh, wonderful programs that are, that are put on by companies like Ford Motor Company, Dollar General, and others, include reserve forces. So when you, when you go to the Ford Motor Company, and you try to uh, participate in their, their military appreciation program and get a discount on an F-150, and it says active duty, family members, veterans. Well, we just wrote a letter to the president of Ford saying, you know, can you include reservists in this reserve forces? Uh, 
and we gave them some suggested language. We're going to follow up with that. So that's a little thing we do. Um, we also we also work very hard on legislation to ensure that the reserves are included in legislation uh, that benefits members of the military. We also work with other organizations on hiring programs. A lot of this is consciousness raising. And one of the things that we have just begun working on is raising uh, the awareness of the value of reservists to potential employers because of what we are seeing as an increasing reticence of some employers to bring on members of the Guard and Reserve because of these deployments that are continuing without any let-up. In fact, in some some places, especially in logistics and some of the support services, we're seeing an increase in operations tempo for members of the reserve because the active force doesn't necessarily have these specialties, and the active op tempo is as high as it ever was. So as we know, the military can't go to war without the reserve, so the reservists are activated. Well, that can be good, but for an employer, they can look at that and say, whoa, wait a minute, you're getting mobilized under, say, 12304B orders for a for an exercise, and I could understand when this you, you were you were shipping out for a war, but you're going out, you're leaving the assembly line here. You're a shop steward, you're a manager, you're a director. Um, maybe you're one of two lawyers in the law firm, and you're leaving, and it's not a war. Tell me about that. And of course, under USERA, we have federal protections, but we all know that people can find their way around these federal protections if they need to. So we're raising the consciousness of that, and quite frankly, one of the things ROA is very active in doing is, is lending its voice on the Hill and in the building, asking about the real role of the reserve force. What are we really using them for? Are we using them as a proxy for an inadequately sized active force? And are we are we are we are we doing things with these mobilizations that could help or could hurt the long-term viability of the reserve force? We're also looking very hard uh, at uh, employment portals. We're looking at developing our own for reservists to find uh, work. When I say reservist, I include the, the guard. Or, or find other resources that we could work with and lend our, our financial and, and, uh, and, and database and membership to so that members of the Reserve and Guard could go and find good work. There was a program called Hero to Hire that the Army had, went over to the VA where I think it died. But uh, we, what we are actually at this moment involved in doing is finding such, uh, such a resource for, for reservists. And a lot of this has to do with just raising public consciousness about the reserves. And one of the uh, things we're doing right now is every month in the, the, the Hill newspaper, which is one of these dailies that go out Monday through Friday on the Hill, everyone in Congress, everyone in the, the political mix reads these newspapers. ROA is the only national military organization that has a monthly op-ed in it, and we just, uh, we're just we working on a relationship right now with the, with the Military Times Company to also offer them content, which raises the consciousness of the reserve components. John, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yes, sir. No, absolutely. Uh, part of the the, uh, the legislative aspect of this is continuing to raise awareness to not only members of Congress but also their staffs. As you well know, of uh, the hundred, uh, the four hundred, uh, five hundred and thirty-five members of the House and the Senate, uh, we have seen uh, sort of a, a a peak and then a low, and so we're building uh, the, that number again in terms of of uh, elected officials who have actually served in uniform uh, over the years. And so, of course, we've just uh, recently, uh, uh, the last World War II veteran retired a couple of years ago, uh, and uh, so now we're down to uh, you know, a few remainders from Korea and Vietnam, but we've seen a spike uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, veterans. And so that's a real, real plus. So we work with their office 
Uh, we also work exclusively with the uh, uh, the House and the Senate uh, reserve component uh, uh, guard caucuses uh, to raise awareness. Uh, and so uh, we have also been working uh, quite uh, frequently uh, with, uh, with the staffs. One in particular was a staffer named Robert Wilkie, uh, who I worked with on the House side uh, many, many years ago. Uh, he came to the Senate, worked with Senator Tillis, and is now the, just confirmed as the VA secretary. So Wilkie, or Colonel Wilkie, is uh, still a drilling reservist today uh, with the U.S. Air Force. Uh, so we have a vast network uh, vast teams that we work with in terms of some of the other associations, uh, but we also work with our membership to raise awareness on important issues uh, that are uh, that are that are important to the reserve community. We're speaking with Jeff Phillips, Executive Director of the Reserve Officers Association, and John Rothrock, Legislative Director for the association. You know, I heard both of you just use the word awareness, and I think that's got to be part of the key because, again, I served on active duty, never served in the reserves. I work within uh, Veterans News and paying attention to these things. I only learned today about H.R. 5538, the Reserve Component Vocational Rehabilitation Parity Act, until today, I did not know that reservists who deployed were not uh, to Afghanistan, Iraq, under under orders uh, 12404A and 12304B orders, were not eligible for vocational rehab. Had I known about that, I would have questioned a lot of people about why they're not eligible for those things. How important is awareness on these issues that many of us from the active duty community probably just don't think about when it comes to the reservists and just assume that they get the same treatment that we do? Right. I, I, awareness is very important. Part of this is education of the staff. Uh, I was also on a, uh, the staff of the, of the um, House Committee on Veterans Affairs for a couple of years. And so writing policy is incredibly complex stuff. So you've got a, you got a, you got a handful of people writing legislation. They may or may not be helped by advocates, commonly called lobbyists. Uh, um, and, and it is not unusual for a staffer who, who may have to be fairly new or may not know everything about a topic. You know, there's a lot to know about these topics, and they're very, very complex, to miss something. For instance, uh, GI Bill educational be- benefits had kind of fallen through the crack for people under the same orders. They weren't getting credit for their GI Bill. And we got that corrected. A, a group of veterans groups, uh, Student Veterans of America, took the lead on this, as I recall. Great group of people. Uh, getting that inserted back into GI Bill benefits for these mobilized reservists. So these things, these things occur when you have legislation. It is almost inevitable that something will fall through the crack, um, given the complexities of of legislation. We got to remember when we're talking about reservists. Not so long ago, the Reserve and Guard were considered part of the were considered the strategic reserve, and and the active force, which never served with them, four-star generals never knew anyone in the reserves. They didn't serve with them. Their kids didn't go to school together. Their spouses, you know, didn't uh, didn't do activities together on the post, so they weren't known. And they were out there in the booth in the back in the corner in the dark. If, if anyone remembers the old Flip Wilson show. Uh, now, and all of a sudden, in, in Desert Storm, the reserves were massively used, especially for logistics, which is even more the case now. So things started to kind of uh, come to the fore, inequities, unfairness, gaps in letting go. Most of this was not malign, malicious. It was just 
an artifact of decades of the reserve being in the shadows. It's still seeping out. We still find it. Give an example that ROA went to war on and fixed. Uh, because of this decades and decades of the reserves being the strategic and basically forgotten part of the military, if, if I may, um, if, if you died on inactive duty training, your family got a survivor benefit um, payment of X numbers of dollars. It had to do with your rank and so on and so forth. If you died on active duty, whether reservist who was on active duty orders or a regular, say, regular serving member of the active component, your family got <laughs> X to a to some power of of that money. We had a situation just in 2015, one before that with two Apache pilots, one as early as recent as 2015, where two pilots died in a Blackhawk crash. They were Florida National Guard. No, they were Louisiana National Guard. They crashed and were killed along with seven Marines in in um, in a in a Florida the Florida body of water. They crashed into the water in thick fog. So one of the pilots was on inactive duty training. He was training, but he wasn't on active duty. So it was an inactive duty training orders. The other pilot, same on same rank, both reservists, both guardsmen, same rank uh, as I recall, was on active duty training. Well, the family of the active duty pilot got about seven times as much money, four figures, as the family of the inactive duty pilot, who I think got about 700 bucks a month. So we, we didn't think this was right. They're doing the same thing, both in the same total force, uh, both serving their nation, basically the same rank, both warrant officers. So we went to war on this, and we got the fix in the, the previous National Defense Authorization, the, the, G, the defense bill. And it's been fixed. So uh, ROA, and oh, by the way, ROA was the only military group that was fighting for this. And it, we, we, we picked up the theme, we carried the theme, and we got it into the end zone uh, for, our, for our reserving guard. And we're very proud of that. That's the kind of thing that happens. Now, no one at any time said, we're going to screw the inactive duty um, pilot's family. It's just, just part of the old system that needed to be corrected. Things have changed, and reservists and guard members have borne uh, a tremendous amount of the burden of the two most recent wars. Oh, absolutely. 950,000 have been mobilized. Yeah. and Nearly 1,250, I think it's like 1,249, have lost their lives in the war. Yeah. And Eric, I want to jump in here and say that uh, the, the role of the reservist and the National Guardsmen continues to increase uh, as the uh, as the wars rage in the Middle East as well. In fact, in the intel world, for every 10 intel personnel, whether it's officer or enlisted, going downrange, eight of them are reservists. And so I know when I was in Afghanistan, I traveled to TAC North, uh, where you said you were, uh, and to Kabul as well, and every time I saw Navy intel, uh, they, were, they, were, uh, they were reservists or uh, National Guardsmen. So... Uh, our role is not decreasing. In fact, it is actually increasing based on uh, billet requirements. That's right. Yeah, it's very true. And, of course, uh, for people who wonder why that is, well, when active duty commands are asked to provide people, they oftentimes say, no, we can't do that. We've got a mission to accomplish. So the reserves are then tasked with filling positions, oftentimes right. uh, reservists filling positions that are not even within their, their MOS or their rating, depending on which branch of service they're in. Thankfully, there's an organization in the Reserve Officers Association that advocates for the reservists, that makes sure that they have a voice 
place on Capitol Hill and elsewhere. And we've been speaking with the executive director of the ROA, Jeff Phillips, and John Rothrock, the legislative director for the ROA. Jeff, recently retired from the Army. John, still currently serving in the United States Navy Reserves. Gentlemen, if someone is interested in finding out more about the ROA or if they're an E4 or above who's interested in joining the ROA, where do they go to find out more about the information and about the possibility of becoming a member? Our ROA website is uh, RomeoOscarAlpha.org, and my email is uh, J Phillips. That's Juliet Papa Hotel India Lima Lima India Papa Sierra at ROA.org. Is that right, John? That's my yes, email, right? It's J, J Phillips at ROA.org. So I'll be happy to answer your emails and point you in the right direction. We're very proud of what we do. We're very proud of the reserve components. Uh, a fabulous group of, of men and women, families, and veterans who are serving, have served, will continue to serve this great nation and it would every day become more important to our national security. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.